Welcome to another inspirational message from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. You ready for the word tonight? Uh, tonight we're continuing in our Church on the Rock Family Bible Study series. And uh, we're continuing with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've been learning a little bit about our forefathers. And God never intended for the body of Christ, for me and you, God never intended for us to separate Old Testament and New Testament in such a way that we discount the Old Testament and that we don't see it as important to learn, to study, and to practice in our lives. In fact, the Bible will, will speak directly to that in just a moment. But uh, God never intended for His children to make a religion out of sacrifice. Rather, He hoped that His children would, would obey and serve Him. And he never meant for us to live in fear. He meant for us to live in, in obedience that brings joy. You know, uh, he's, he's not trying to divide us, Old Testament, New Testament, law and grace. Rather, the grace that God gives us is to keep his will in our lives. We have grace to do his will. But he's not dangling us over the fires of hell as though he's going to drop us into a pit of turmoil or trouble if we don't do something. He's just going to get mad and start kicking us and beating us and cursing us. That's not our God. Our God has given us his word to show us how we ought to live. And so tonight... We're going to open up as we're talking tonight, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're talking about the subject of decently and in order. Decently and in order. What in the world does that mean? Well, let's, let's look and, and, and see. In 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, in verse 40, our uh, key scripture for this evening simply says this. Let all things be done decently and in order. Decently and What does that mean? Well... You know, uh, literally, this short verse reveals a powerful truth that describes God's habit and it describes His hope. God is hoping that all things are done decently and in order. You see, before the foundation of the world, God had laid out His plan and He had ordered the whole universe. He had ordered the planets in our galaxy in a, in a pre determined orbit as they orbit our sun and and uh, even down to the very delicately balanced minutia of our ecosystem every you know everything has its place every nutrient has its purpose every you know uh, the nitrogen the phosphorus and the potash in the soil they're all important and God ordered everything to work together for our good God is a God of order God thought of every detail before he started I love that about God. He knows the end from the beginning. And, and uh, you know, he thought of everything. This is what prompted God to make dry ground and grass before he made cows. Why? Because he's a God of order. 
This is what prompted God to say, build a boat before he sent the flood. Why? Because he knew what came first and he knew why it came first. And, you know, it's, it, it's, it's the reason that we see parents before children. You know, God didn't create Adam and Eve as newborns. <laughs> all right? There's a reason behind all of that. He's a God of order. You know what came first, chicken or the egg? I guarantee you it was the chicken. Why? Because God is a God of order. What came first, judgment, you know, or salvation? Well, before judgment comes on the whole world, salvation came first. God is a God of order. And it's important to realize where God places things because we also want to be in order with God. We want to understand that God puts first things first. And, and, and there's a reason for the way God orders things. God's always made a way. He's always provided for his children. God has never sent someone where he was not also willing and able and also uh, had, had predetermined how they were going to get what they needed when they got there. God never sent somewhere, uh, someone somewhere that they encountered difficulties that God did not expect. You know, uh, you'll never throw God a curve. You'll never catch God unprepared for anything that you do, even if you choose or allow yourself to fall for some temptation, you'll never catch God unprepared to help you. We can rest assured that God goes before us. We can rest assured that he's prepared a way. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is gentle. He is kind. He prepares a table for us in a wilderness, even in the presence of people who don't like us and even in the presence of our enemies. He's that kind of God. He's prepared. He's a God of order. And he has ordered his word in such a way that we should pay attention to what he put first and what he did first and then what came next. As you know, we're trying to learn a little bit more about our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because if we are not watchful, we could fall into a thought of putting all of the Old Testament stories in a place where they don't apply to us where they are something in a far distant land at a far distant time to a people that, well, you know, how could that apply to us? Well, you know, it does. God, as I said, never intended to divide Old Testament and New Testament in such a way that we would somehow buy into the thought or consider or uh, uh, allow the Old Testament to be a book that really doesn't apply to us. Uh, let's look at one more story in the life of Jacob tonight. Uh, Jacob was about 77 years old. I know that's a little older than you may have imagined him to be. Not as old as you, Jim, but that's a little older than you may have imagined Jacob to be. <laughs> when Jacob's mother, Rebecca, she became afraid that her other son, who was Esau's twin, his older twin, uh, it was Esau, Jacob's older twin. Uh, Rebecca got really concerned with reason that Esau, the older twin, was going to kill Jacob, the younger twin. He was determined to kill his brother. Why? Well, it's because his brother had robbed him of his birthright, had lied, had cheated, had connived, and, and, and he had the help of his mother, Rebecca. Rebecca 
had helped her favorite son. Okay? He was a mama's boy. Daddy loved Esau. Mama loved Jacob. We read about this last week. And Mama helped Jacob lie to Daddy and get Daddy to give Jacob the blessing of the firstborn. And he wasn't. Esau was so upset, he said, I'm going to kill Jacob. Rebecca was, you know, and, and think about it now. Both these boys are 77 years old. <laughs> and Mama says, Oh, I don't want you to be killed, son. Your brother's going to kill you. I'm going to go in and I'm going to beg your daddy to send you, he wasn't married yet, to send you back to my brother's house, back to Haran, to visit my brother, and there you'll be safe for a while. And uh, I'm going to tell your daddy that I don't want you to marry any of these Canaanite women because your brother has married these Canaanite women, and they are a grief to us. And they are trouble to our family. And they're dividing our family and they're pulling us apart. And, 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 and I don't want this for you. And so she went in and told uh, Isaac, her husband, you know, send Jacob, our, our youngest twin, you know, back to my brother's house so he can find a wife from there. Because if he marries a woman from here, it will be our death. So Isaac said, okay, and he sent Jacob on a journey to go back to walk about 300 miles. It's going to take him a little while to go back to Haran. Well, on about his third day, somewhere in, in, in that time frame, in the evening, Jacob shows up at a place just north of Jerusalem, he walked from Beersheba up through, you know, the Patriarch Trail, up through Hebron and uh, up uh, through Bethlehem and led on up to Jerusalem, uh, where Jerusalem would be, and then on up north by Shiloh to Bethel. It will later be called Bethel. In fact, Jacob will name it Bethel. He will name it because Beit El Bait meaning house in Hebrew, and El for God. He named it the house of God. And uh, so this is where we pick up in our story with 77-year-old Jacob stopping on a hill north of the city, uh, that, that what would be the city of Jerusalem. And uh, uh, we pick it up in Genesis chapter 28. Genesis 28 you can follow along in your Bibles or you can look here uh, on, on the screen uh, or at home. And uh, we'll be reading from the New King James Version. Verse 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it as uh, uh, put it as his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Verse 12. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I 
am the Lord God. I am Jehovah God. When you see Lord written all in capitals, that's Jehovah. Okay, a Hebrew. That's the Hebrew Jehovah God. I am the Lord God Jehovah. Your, uh, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Or God is making a covenant offering with him here. Verse 14, also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Wow pretty big promise verse 16 then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it so many times God is right there with us and we don't know it he knows where we're going he knows what we're going to do and he knows he's going to get us back to the place we need to be he knows what he's going to do in our life but I didn't know it verse 17 and Jacob was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob arose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it, and he called the name of the place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow. Listen to Jacob's vow. Now, God has already promised to bless him basically for nothing. You know, God has promised to bless him. God has promised to bless his descendants. God wants a covenant because of your father Abraham and Isaac, and, and I'm going to give you a covenant, and I'm going to bless you and, uh, and, and, and bring you back to this place, and I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I will be with you all the days of your life. You will see that my covenant is true. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going, and if he will give me bread to eat and clothing to put on. Now, Jacob is saying, you know, hey, listen, God just told me what he's going to do. And if that be true, or we might say, since that be true, so that I come back to my father's house in peace. God's really going to do this. Then the Lord shall be my God. I'm going to embrace him as mine. Not just the God of my father. Not just the God of my grandfather. But I'm going to embrace him as my God. My God has made a personal commitment to me. It's not just a commitment he made to my mother. It's not just a commitment he made to my grandmother. It's not just a commitment he made to my dad. It's not just a commitment he's made to my husband. It's not just a commitment he's made to my wife. He has made a covenant with me. And since that be true, he will be my God. Verse 22. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Oh, that's where he throws you the curve right there. 
Why? Because he's talking about tithing. <laughs> Ooh. Boy, did, you didn't see that coming, did you? <laughs> Come on now. You know, <laughs> we don't. Uh, isn't that amazing? That's amazing. Especially because of the order that it appears in the Word of God. Remember, we're talking about God's admonition to let all things be done decently and in order, as God has ordered everything. It's important, first of all, to put what God wants to be done uh, you know, in its right order. And, and, and next uh, is, is, is that we do things in a decent way. We do things decently and in order uh, and, and uh, for the right reasons, that we are doing something for the right reasons. And then it's important to pay attention to the order that God has put things in. You see, as I said earlier, some, some have placed um, the consideration of the practice of tithing to be an Old Testament principle and therefore not applicable in today's service to God. Uh, they see it as a requirement commanded by the law of Moses. And knowing that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, they imagine that that scripture, having misread it, says that Christ has excused us from the law or excused us from doing God's will, which that's not a reality. You see, um, the most elementary reading of scriptures disproves the thought that the Old Testament is inapplicable for today because it is the way that God offers covenant to individuals, speaks to them, and promises made to them to keep them, to guide them, to never leave them. He knows what he wants in each individual's life, with or without respect as to whether you give him a penny or not. Hello. Let's get real for a moment. God doesn't love you for money. The church, you know, I don't know if any of you, unless you have told me, I don't know if any of you have ever given a penny or not. Ken and I discuss this. We refuse to allow anything in our lives that would say that we minister to one person, serve one person, listen to one person more than another because someone gives and someone doesn't. We have never done that, and we will go to heaven clean in the eyes of God because of that. And for that reason, I can just be rightly honest with you and tell you that the church loves you despite whether you have ever given a penny or not, and so does God. His covenant with you and your salvation is never based on what you give, contrary to some church doctrines. You cannot pay your way out of purgatory. You can't give your way into heaven. You, and, and, and as far as our church is concerned, you know, uh, what you, the ministry you get from our church and the attention and the prayer and everything else is with, without completely blanketed without consideration to what you have done, will do, able to do, don't do. It doesn't matter because love is not based on how much you give. 
Love is going to be based, my love is going to be based on how much I'm willing to give. Not on how much you're willing to give. This needs to be recognized in the church and the order that it comes in, the order that, that Jacob offered his covenant, his covenant response, his covenant responsibility. Since you are taking care of me and going to do this with me, let me tell you, I want to pledge to you the same thing that I saw my grandfather do and heard that he did, Abraham did this, whenever God had given him a great victory and he was coming back and he met a man named Melchizedek, a high priest, which, which I believe is Christ. And, and there uh, at, at, at Christ, he offered him tithes of everything. That's something his grandfather had done. That's something all the way back to Adam. I mean, God placed uh, you know, Adam uh, as, as an example to his sons, uh, you know, Cain and Abel. And, and, and they brought offerings to the Lord. And, and God showed us that some offerings are acceptable and some offerings are not acceptable. If it's not from your heart, if it's just you know, out, out, out of passing, if you're tipping God. You know, uh, by the way, you know what the difference between a tip and a tithe is? About 8% these days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay y'all get it we know that God placed the covenant of tithing Abraham 500 years before the law of Moses Jacob tithing here his covenant of tithing is over 430 years before Moses is even born who you know, pinned the law. Many people relegate tithing to the law. No, the law is, is, is definitely in the Old Testament, but it's not a part of the Old Testament. And tithing is, was so strong, such a, 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 a strong connection of covenant with God from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So strong was this covenant that the covenant of Abraham, as Christ redeemed us, this covenant, it endured through the law and came out the other end of the law. It's, it's, you know, Paul writes in the New Testament how important it is to understand that, that, that the Old Testament gives us principles of life. In, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. When the Apostle Paul wrote this, there was no New Testament. He is talking exclusively about the Old Testament. He is talking exclusively about all Scripture. He may as well be saying the Old Testament is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable to you, Timothy, and to the church you're pastoring in Ephesus for your doctrine. The Old Testament is profitable for your doctrine. It's profitable for your correction, for your reproof, for your instruction in righteousness. So that, the next verse would say, so that you might be perfect, you know, and, 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 and complete. Paul further tells us in Galatians, the third chapter, verse 13, uh, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, not from the law and not from the blessings of the law. He's not excused us from the law and he's not redeemed us from the blessings of the law. He redeemed us from the curses of the law. That means that if you don't keep the law, then, then Christ took care of that. If you commit adultery, Christ took care of that so that the curses won't come upon you. If you steal, if you lie, if you cheat, if you murder, the curse of the law has no power on you. 
Christ redeemed you from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, it's shame on Him. God put the curse on Him. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Why did He do that? So that the blessings of Abraham, the blessings of Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, might come on the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Look at verse 17 for the sake of time. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. He's saying, listen, you are children of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God said, I got a covenant with your forefathers. And these are forefathers by faith. Not by birth, which he would later say in Hebrews. But by faith you have entered into that covenant. And when Christ redeemed you, it was so you could get out from under that parenthetical law and get back under the covenant blessings of Abraham, which included Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob partnering with God in making sure that they made him their source. We've been saved from the penalties of the law. The giving of a tenth of our increase in respect to honoring God in the covenant was so powerful through Abraham, through Jacob, that it was included as an important part of the law in a way that we respect and show our respect to God and respect to the covenant, just like Jacob did. Jacob was showing respect to God and to the covenant of God's promise to bless him. Hebrews, the seventh chapter, verse 4, says this. Consider then how great this Melchizedek. You remember the man that Abraham, if you don't remember that, you can read about it in, 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 in Genesis, that, that Abraham had come from a battle, and he had won a great battle, and he had so much gold and silver and goods, and he met Melchizedek, a priest, with neither beginning nor end, neither mother nor father, You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Salem, the King of Justice, the the Prince of Peace. And Abraham gave him a tenth of all of his increase. Consider then how great this Melchizedek was. Even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized this by giving him a tenth of what he had taken in battle. Verse 6, but Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Levi, collected a tenth from Abraham. And Melchizedek placed a blessing on Abraham, the one who had already received the promises of God. What? Yes, Abraham had already received a covenant from God. Abraham was God's covenant partner. But yet in this respect of bringing a tenth to the Prince of Peace, this Prince of Peace blessed him even more. Even though he was a covenant partner, this Prince of Peace blessed Abraham who had already received the promise of God, but now he's getting more blessing because of his respect and how he showed this respect. You can read that. Verse 10 says, For although Levi wasn't born yet, Levi was the head of the Levitical priesthood who were responsible for receiving tithes. Although 
Levi wasn't born yet. The seed from which he came was in Abraham's body when Melchizedek collected the tithe from him. What's he saying? He's saying that, that the law, the Levitical law, the, the, the man responsible, you know, it represents the law, paid tithes to the Lord when he was yet in the loins of Abraham. God saw it that way, that it was so important to God, this covenant that is made, that it was included in the law so that the children of Israel would not bring disrespect to the covenant of Abraham and Isaac and their choice to respect God and their promise to say that everything you bless me with, I will surely, as Jacob said, surely Make sure you get a tenth. Wow. You know, God does all things in order for a purpose, and it behooves us to recognize his order. Now, let me uh, begin to close by telling you that, again, that God never intended his children to live a life of fear and sacrifice, but rather of faith and obedience. But God also never intended that we should feel like we are somehow second-class citizens of heaven or that we are somehow not loved by God because we don't give money. That's not the truth. I'm telling you that I do not believe that tithing is a command of God. To the, to the point to where he, you know, he's not going to love you, not going to accept you, not going to let you in heaven if you don't. But I do believe that it's an expectation and that it's a responsibility and that it's an opportunity. I believe it's one of the greatest opportunities we have for tithing to get God involved in our financial success. I believe what Malachi said when God said, Trust me, try me, and prove me now here with, saith the Lord, and see if I will not rebuke the devourer on your behalf and open up windows of heaven. See if I will not bless you more. Now, the devourer cannot take you to hell if you're born again. He has no authority and no power to take you to hell. But if you don't think he can cause you to live in some hell, you're wrong. If you don't respect God enough to love your family, if you don't respect God enough to be kind to strangers, if you don't respect God enough to participate in sharing the gospel here and around the world, then the devil's going to certainly know that you are a target for him. You know, God loves you, but you can still, you know, end up with a devourer. He can't take you to hell. But he has access to your finances according to God's word when you're not in covenant financially with God. I don't know how else to tell you. My goal is God's goal. God's goal is to help you be a blessing and keep the devil out of your life. 
God's goal is to protect you from the devourer. God's goal is to protect you from the desires of the devil to destroy your family and destroy your life. So he has given us a lot of, 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 of encouragement and inspiration and words to follow. That's God's goal. God's goal is to protect you from the devil. That's what my goal is tonight, is to protect you. And tonight, Jacob gave us an opportunity to tell uh, you know, the world how we can be protected financially from the devil. As I said, it's more of a... It, it's more of an opportunity. Do I believe that it's the will of God? Yes. But I see Jacob offering it to God. I see Abraham offering it to Melchizedek. I don't see Melchizedek coming out and saying, where's your tithes, buddy? How much are you going to give me of that? I don't, I don't see him doing that. I don't see God saying, now listen, uh, listen, Jacob, uh, you know, I'm giving you this dream and everything, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to bless your descendants, and I'm going to be with you and bring you back here if you'll give me a tenth. I don't see that. I just don't see it. I don't see anywhere where there's some tithing police. That's one of the reasons why. For every, you know, I, I, I just haven't looked. I don't. I don't even want to know. I'm not the tithing police. But I'd be wrong to tell you that it hadn't worked for me and everyone else that I know of. Amen. Trust me, try me, prove me now. That's God saying. And see if I will not. You don't have to. But you really ought to. Why? Because all things should be done decently, in the right motive, and in order. Thanks again for joining us for another encouraging word from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.